As we continue our series through the book of Hebrews, I encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to join me here in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This indeed is the word of our God. Father, grant to us now, by your Spirit, we would hear and see, and well apply this your word. Work among us by your spirit is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. The New Testament is filled with metaphors. Jesus frequently used agrarian metaphors in his parables. The wheat and the tares is an example. You also find athletic and military metaphors in the Apostle Paul's letters. And here in this letter, whose author we are not certain of, is another athletic metaphor. Now, that would have made a lot of sense, especially in prominent cities like Alexandria. Of course, there was a sizable Jewish population in Alexandria, and the gospel going there, and several places throughout what was then the Roman Empire. The author is calling us here to a race, and he gives the picture of the contest along with a stadium or a coliseum. And those that are in the bleachers are not like we are tonight. Spectators alone. We, most of us, have not done anything athletic in some time. Is that fair? I know, there's some of you, well, I did. Well, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Those in the stands that the writer pictures here are people who have already done the race. And they've not gone to the locker room, changed clothes, and gone home. They have gone into the stands of the Coliseum of the stadium, and they're watching. And they stand there bearing witness now, that can be both an encouraging and a somewhat terrifying imagery, truthfully, right? Kent Hughes tells about being pastor at College Church for about a year when one of the elders came rushing into the room off the pulpit area, the platform where the pastor waited to come in and do the service with this excitement. Pastor, I have the most wonderful thing to tell you. Alan Redpath is in the congregation along with Stephen Olford. Now, for many of you, that doesn't mean anything at all. But Alan Redpath was a well-known pastor of Moody Memorial Church 
at the time. And uh, Stephen Olford uh, was an itinerant, but also had pastored in America, uh, in New York City, actually at Calvary Baptist Church. If you ever get a chance to hear their sermons, they were exceptionally gifted pastors and preachers. And he said, I, I responded disingenuously with something like, oh, that's wonderful, and immediately started going over my notes again. I understand that. I have on occasion preached when there are other men in the room who are known as very good preachers themselves, and I will tell you it is both intimidating and motivating. Uh, and motivation really is kind of a fundamental, isn't it, to any successful endeavor, especially if you consider an athletic competition. Now, I hated exercise for the sake of pure exercise. I think I've said that before. I just want to reaffirm that. I loathed exercise for merely the sake. I needed a motivation. I needed something connected in some tangible sort of way to keep me doing this. And when you think about the Christian life, brothers and sisters, it is compared not just here, but the Apostle Paul will compare it to a race. And he will even say, in 2 Timothy, what he longed for was to be able to say, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Christian, as your race, remember there are those who have gone before you, and they are actually there to encourage you. You see, if you look back, Hebrews 10 ends with an exhortation for us to continue on in the faith. As Lake Duncan points out, Hebrews 11 is basically a big exhortation and illustration calling us to persevere in the faith, give us examples after example after example of believers who've gone before us, who faced very hard things and yet endured to the end. So if Hebrews 1 through 10 says, stay with Christ, Hebrews 11 says, let me give you some examples of those who have stayed with the Lord throughout all the trials of life. Here are their examples. But it's not just to fill your mind with interesting stories, but actually to exhort you to stay with Christ, to stay the course of the Christian life. Spurgeon, angels and principalities and powers and hosts redeemed by blood have mustered to behold the glorious spectacle of men agonizing for holiness and putting forth their utmost strength to copy the Lord Jesus. Ye that are men now run for it, if there be any spiritual life and gracious strength in you, put it forth today for patriarchs and prophets, saints, martyrs, and apostles look down from heaven upon you. We at times lose sight of how majestic this business is. We lose sight of the eternal. We forget that even Christ's endurance motivates our own endurance. See, friend, Christian endurance, the ability to stick to this and do it as a believer, is both motivated and enabled by Christ. You say it another way, Jesus is the catalyst for Christian endurance. 
He is the one who moves us the most here. Two considerations of this text. First, we are indeed motivated by the faithful witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking back to those who have gone before us, motivated by their success, even in the face of their struggles, their humanity, their failures. You can look back to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the apostles, Peter, James, John, and Paul, to the martyrs, the apostle James, Stephen, in later history, or excuse me, later from the New Testament era, John Hus, uh, in my lifetime, Jim Elliot, to preachers like Apollos and Tyndale and Luther and Calvin and Whitfield, missionaries like William Carey and John Payton, Lottie Moon, relatives and friends who all lived the life. Now, friend, I'm, I'm not sure that the author here is trying to tell us necessarily that those who have transported to glory spend their time watching what we're doing. Could be. I think more likely what he's saying is in light of the witness of these who have gone before, in light of the way they have lived, we should so live. We are so extraordinarily caught up with ourselves. So extraordinarily turned in on ourselves. To our own detriment. You see, when I read of those who have endured before, it helps me endure. When I at times had gone through pastoral crises. And you know, I, I know it's hard for some of you to imagine, but there have been times people haven't liked me. You don't seem nearly as shocked by that as I thought you would. I'm reminded of men who endured. And sometimes it can be difficult to endure. When you think about enduring as a parent as a spouse, not only in terms of relationship, but in terms of office, what it is you do in your calling. We tend to get so caught up in the middle of our own circumstance, what we are dealing with, that we lose sight that we are part of a much larger picture. And we are indeed not alone. So yes, we're motivated by faithful witnesses, motivated by their success. But here's the other thing, we're also motivated by our weaknesses and our failures. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. My weakness is there's weight to be lost. There are things that are hindering. Jesus will say in Matthew 5, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Better you lose one of the members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Better you lose one of your members than that, than that your whole body goes into hell. 
Now we know that there have been certain disturbed individuals who thought to take that quite literally, and that, my friend, is the path of madness. It is not the physical presence of an eye or a hand that is causing your destruction. It is the sin which still dwells within you, and you should be ruthless in dealing with it. To use what the Puritan brethren called holy violence against your flesh. We read earlier in 1 Corinthians 9 about the running of the race and how much energy is to be given. My friend, what holds you back may be sin, but it could also be something that's not in and of itself necessarily sinful, but something that can lead you to sin. And this is the place where you have to know yourself well enough to know what you can or cannot legitimately embrace and do. What I'm saying to you is, this may not look precisely the same for everybody. I recall the story of a professional tennis player who came to Saving Faith in Christ and gave up tennis. And her comment was this, I don't think there's anything wrong with tennis, nor do I think any other Christian necessarily needs to quit. But I know myself, and I know that if I stay doing this, it will replace Christ in my life. Thus, I will give this up. That, my friend, is laying aside the weight that hinders you. Just be careful that you don't expect every other Christian to lay aside the same thing. Because for them, it may not be a hindrance. And that's where the blessed principle of mind your own business comes in. Okay, Paul said it this way. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. There's weight to lay aside. In fact, Paul will say in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives the list. Now, the language there, put to death, the translation of the King James, glorious old word, mortify. We don't use that word much anymore. That's exactly what it means deal death to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Christian, sin is a real threat, and you must contend with it your entire life. What is it that you need to cut off, put off, get rid of? And hear me, my friend, getting rid of it right now doesn't mean you won't have to get rid of it again in two hours, two days, two weeks. The putting off is an ongoing process. But it's not just putting off weight, it's muscle to build. The kind of endurance that only happens through patience. He says, we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Back in 1981, a gentleman named Bill Broadhurst entered the Pepsi 10K 
in Omaha. He stood no chance of winning. Ten years earlier, he had had a brain aneurysm that left him partially paralyzed, which made every step of those 6.2 miles feel like a marathon. But Bill still signed up because his hero was racing that day. Bill Rogers, the world-class athlete who had just won his third straight Boston Marathon, made the trip over to Omaha, a race he could win easily, but easily would be the last word to describe Bill Broadhurst's run. After two hours and 29 minutes, an average of a 24-minute mile, he crawled across the finish line, dragging his exhausted body, finishing dead last. But guess what? Bill Rogers came over to Bill Broadhurst, took the gold medal from around his neck, smiled, and put it on his chest. Here, this is for you. My friends, you may run slowly, this race of endurance. You may run quickly, but you must run it with patience. It is not for sprinters. This is a race you will endure the entirety of your life here on this earth. Certain elements will be easier as you go. Some sins yield more readily to the act of mortification. Others will fight you to the death. You will battle these things in your life many of you, the entirety of your lifetime. Be wary of people who tell you they have conquered all these things, for they'll lie about other things as well. No one in this life conquers all of it. And yet the call, run with endurance. So yes, we are motivated by faithful witnesses, But here's the other element. We are motivated by a faithful Savior looking to Jesus. Of course we're to look to Jesus. Preacher, this isn't hard. Even nice non-Christians will say we should look to Jesus, but the Jesus to whom they look is not the actual Jesus of history. It's the Jesus that they made up who so closely resembles them that he never challenges them to live any other way. My friend, the Jesus that never blows up your world, that never rocks your priorities, that never messes with your behavior, your attitudes, your ethics, is not the Jesus of Scripture. Looking to Jesus. And the Scripture here tells us how to look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Christ should fill the horizon. He is the goal, the great goal. This so echoes, and I see this throughout the text of Scripture. This is why I find it so disingenuous when people say, well, the Bible doesn't really stick together. And I'm like, what Bible have you been reading? What does Paul say in the book of Philippians, the third chapter? Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, motivated by him filling the horizon, motivated by him as the originator, founder, and perfecter. He creates our faith, and he completes our faith. And folks, this is found throughout the text. 
You would not believe were it not for him. He has to do a work. You are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest someone should boast. The this, the pronoun, the near demonstrative pronoun for you English majors, echoes back to faith. That is the noun. The faith didn't come from you. I grew up hearing preachers all over the, time, all over the world saying, well, now everybody is born with a certain amount of faith. It's just where you put it. No, you're not. He must grant you faith. You use that faith. You believe. He doesn't believe for you. But he must intervene. He creates our faith and he completes our faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. Now, some of you are going to overthink this, so I'm going to help you. You're welcome. You ready? Well, how do I know if it's me or if it's him? Not your calling. Get to work. Do what is in front of you to do. Let him make the judgment of what's happening. Act. And when you do act and you do the right thing, thank the Lord. When you follow, be thankful. When you fail, be honest. He is the author, the originator the completer of our faith. So we are motivated. Jesus as the goal. Jesus as our originator. And finally, in these last part of verse 2 and into verse 3, motivated by Jesus as our example, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so you may not be, or grow weary or faint-hearted. What Jesus did, he did in terms of having a goal. His goal, the glory of his Father and the redemption of his people. This was his joy. But are you noticing? The joy is not separated from the suffering. The joy is what enabled him to endure the suffering. Endured the cross, despising the shame. Now you see, for us, here in modern America, we don't find the cross all that shameful. I mean, it's been sanitized by two millennia of religious symbolism. And I'm not grousing, I'm just observing. But my friend, in the time Christ dies, the cross was such a loathsome thing. 
that polite people never mentioned it. The word crucify was never found on the lips of proper Roman citizens. They wouldn't even say it. To be stripped naked, nailed to a piece of wood, left there to hang and die while the birds came down and feasted on, at times, your still living flesh was a horrific, painful, agonizing, gory, miserable way to die. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Christian, here is our difficulty, is it not? We don't live for eternity, we live for the moment. Our horizon is too low. You see, my friend, if you don't ever learn how to look out to the next life, if you don't know how to look out to what the, the Apostle Paul will call the eternal weight of glory, <laughs> you don't endure. It's too much. It's overwhelming. Friend, we are so this worldly in so many ways. And it shows up by how we respond to our disappointments. It shows up by how we respond to our suffering. And folks, please understand, I'm not saying that stuff isn't real. To deny that suffering is real is to deny the scripture and to deny reality. It hurts. Getting sick is not pleasant. Growing old and getting ill is not for the faint of heart. Standing in cemeteries is not easy. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love how Tom Schreiner speaks this. He says, the cross was despised in the ancient world and a shameful way to die. The application to the readers is clear. They too must endure to the end. Begin willing to endure any suffering since they know they will ultimately enjoy a great reward. Once again, Lake Duncan, here's the first clue to our perseverance. If the Lord Jesus persevered to the cross, looking to the joy that was set before him, is that not also how we ought to persevere? We've got the prize before our eyes. This is why Jonathan Edwards spent 20 minutes every day meditating on heaven. Because this life tricks us into thinking that this is all there is and that these are the ultimate blessings. So we have to consciously work to realize the blessings of this life cannot measure to what the joy is set before us. Al Mohler tells of visiting the Middle East several years ago and he met an Iranian pastor who had scars on his back from being beaten by the secret police with chains. It was an unforgettable sight. This is the kind of hostility the author of Hebrews 
is talking about. Now remember, brothers and sisters, these are folks whom he says in another place, joyfully suffer the loss of their goods. They had endured many reproaches. They were not unfamiliar with suffering, but he is stealing them against what is yet to come. Now, Christian, I don't want to turn you into some kind of paranoid believer looking all around waiting to get hammered, but I'm here to tell you that the reality is this. That if you come to the end of your life without being persecuted in some fashion, you will be an anomaly in the history of Christianity. My fear is that today many of us don't suffer because we have no spine. We refuse to stand. Now we've got to be careful here. Preacher, you're given footnotes. Yes, I am. Because some of you think you're standing and you're just being a jerk. You've got to be careful here. You stand for what matters. You stand for principle. But you also do it with a sense of joy and graciousness. See, I, I find it intriguing that some of the angriest among our brethren, ostensibly, seem to also be the most miserable. They kind of like being angry. Never lose sight that joy is the motivator, not outrage. Joy motivates the endurance. Here again, Mr. Spurgeon. There is to be a combination of the active and passive in the Christian. He must be able to endure and yet be able still to work. Let us run with patience. Run when we're out of breath. Run when our bones ache. Run when the prize seems to be further off than ever and to be hidden from our eyes. Run when the hot sun makes us a thirst. Still, let us run with patience the race that's set before us. For it is he that endures to the end who shall be saved. Not merely the starter in the race, for there are many who begin and who begin not in the power of the Spirit of God and who therefore do not persevere unto the end. By this sign shall the true children of God be known. They run with perseverance to the end, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Now I hear my brethren many times say, we want to make Jesus great and exalt Jesus, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. That is our aim and our goal. Let us lift him up. Let us look to him. Christians, some of you today, I just know it, you're tired. And I don't mean just physically tired, you're tired. Sometimes it feels like your life has slipped into this rather treadmillish, ever familiar, same thing every day. Get up at the same time, do this, 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 take care of this. Hope for a nap, not get a nap. Work, 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 work. Get home from work, work some more. Christian mother, there are days, well, and father too, there are days that those little people you've brought into this world are incredibly demanding. And they don't much care (laughs) that you're worn out. 
enduring, running the race. Faithfulness, my friend. For the hope, remember what Paul said, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall grant unto me, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Now you may think, well, nobody's noticing what I'm doing over here. It's in secret. It's hidden. I've not written any books. There's no YouTube channels about me. I don't have anybody paying any attention at all. Does anybody notice? Your heavenly Father sees everything you're going through and has noted it all. And my friend, you will hear if you're his these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Even if everything you did was out of sight to all except those for whom you did it. Crucify the need for fame. Put to death the longing to be known. Be satisfied to run the race with endurance. You have a whole crowd of witnesses who run before you. Isn't that a glorious imagery? You look up in the stands and there's Moses. Abraham. There's Isaiah. There's the weeping prophet Jeremiah. There's Joseph and Mary. There's James, the first apostle to die. There's Stephen, who went on a blaze of glory with an astonishingly powerful sermon on his lips. And finally crying out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. There are the reformers, the Puritans. And folks say, well, I, I don't know any of those people. Yes, but you've known others in your own life who've gone home. Do you lift your eyes to see those who have lived faithfully before you? And finally, looking to the one who originated your faith and is the goal of your faith. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our Father. It is, it is far too easy for us to quit, it seems. It's far too easy for us to give up at times. And Lord, we may, in a sense, give up without stopping. We, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters today who feel just on the verge of collapse, and I pray for your encouragement and strength for them. May they endure seeing him who is invisible, may they endure, knowing that Jesus has loved them and given his life for them. May they endure no matter what comes their way. And I pray for encouragement for them as they do so. 
Father, may we have the endurance of Job who could suffer and still say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May we suffer well if it's as Stephen crying out for the Lord to forgive his murderers for they don't know what they're doing. May we, Father, rest knowing that our salvation is complete and may we then run well knowing the running is not what saves us, the running is because we have been saved. And Lord, may we run with endurance all the way home. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this song in joy and in hope.